just love that wink. It's just so, I don't know what it is, but it's just so whatever it is. Hey, welcome along. Um, as Jimmy said, my name's Chris. Uh, and I'm one of the communicators here at Beyond. Thanks, mate. And we are so glad um, that you're joining us. If you're joining us, you're actually in part three. Um, so on the very tail end of this series that we've been doing called Be Rich. And, uh, and if you're brand new to church or if this is your first time back to church in a long time, I understand that maybe one of the reasons you walked away uh, is because you thought all the church ever wanted was your money. And you're like, dang it, I've walked back into one of those churches that all they want is my money. Um, I want to let you know right off the bat, take a deep breath. Okay, this series is not about that. In fact, we do this series um, every single November. We've been doing it for about three or four years um, now. And the reason we do it, um, as we discovered in part one, is that if your household, not you individually, but if you are part of a household that earns above $33,000 a year, you're in the 1% club which means you are in the 1% of the richest people in the world. And so um, sometimes the reasons that we, we think, oh, I can't be generous or I can't help other people is because we don't feel rich. But throughout this series, we just talk about and we just kind of say, hey, look, the reality is that for a lot of us, we really actually are rich and we're richer than 99% of the world for a lot of us. And so we just said, we, don't, we just want to practice being rich. And so in part one, um, we talked about some of our partners that we're going to uh, work alongside throughout this series. And the great, the great news is these partners actually don't know um, don't know that they're getting some of the, getting the financial resources that they're getting throughout this series. We just call them up and we just say, hey, uh, we're just practicing being rich and we're just practicing being generous and uh, we'd, love to, uh, we'd love to give you some money. And, um, and so we started that in part one. Part two, we launched our Christmas hamper appeal. And our Christmas hamper appeal, it's going to uh, run all the way through until December 15th. Um, and if you don't know about that, you can just find out more. Go to www.beyondchurch.com.au um, and go to the little give um, or get involved tab there and it'll show you a list of non-perishable food items that you can actually bring and drop off before the service right up until December 15th. There's also some cards with a QR code. You can hold your camera over it. It'll tell you exactly what we need. And uh, we're going to distribute those hampers out to our community uh, throughout, this, um, throughout this season. Um, but... There is a question that begins to kind of arise when we start to make a difference or we want to make a difference. Because the reason that we do this, uh, this series is not for us. Uh, because really what we said at the, in part one is like, um, we, we want to challenge 100% of you to give. And even if 100% of you don't give, we're giving 100% of it away. Everything that we bring in throughout this series, we're, we're putting back out into the community. But it can be challenging and, and uh, maybe there's this question that kind of starts to begin to filter into our minds uh, when we want to make a difference. It's a question that begins to filter in um, when you begin to think about making a difference, whether you're out with friends and you see something in the world and you look at that and you're kind of like, that, that situation, that relationship, that, that issue, it should not be an issue and you kind of feel compelled to do something about it. This question comes to the surface. Sometimes this question comes to the surface when you start to make a difference. And maybe you don't feel that you're having that kind of impact that you want or you're not seeing the sort of results that you want. And this question comes to the surface. But I'll tell you, this question never, ever, ever comes to the surface if you're not trying to make a difference in the world. And the question that often comes when we, when we want to make a difference and we want to make uh, making a difference simple is just this. Am I really... Am I really making a difference? Like, is, is, is what I'm doing, is it, is it really enough? And particularly, maybe you've asked this, or maybe you've thought about this throughout this series, like, are we, are we as the local church, are we really making a difference? Sure, it sounds nice, 
Like it's great that we're raising money and it's great that we're getting Christmas hampers, but, but are we really making that big of a difference? And for me, one of the, the things that, that I like to do when, when uh, I ask these questions in my own life is I, I like to actually look at, hey, well, what is actually the difference we're making right now? And what is the difference we've made in the past? Because sometimes you can just get so caught up on the difference you want to make and the impact you want to make that you actually miss the difference and the impact that you're making in the world right now. And so I want to show you guys that in the last 14 days, okay, in the last two weeks, uh, you have raised $1,713 on the way to our $3,500. That's, that's worth some noise, okay? That's worth, yeah. You should be excited about that, that. You have made that difference in the last 14 days alone. You're going to continue to make a difference with the Christmas hampers. Um, but today I wanted to actually introduce you to someone uh, who's actually part of and associated with one of the partner networks that we're, or partners that we're working with throughout this series. And, uh, and we're going to have a little bit of a conversation. You guys get to listen in on that conversation. And you get to see how we as a local church are actually making a difference. So um, let's make some noise. I'd love to welcome Nathan Harding up here. Yeah, make him feel welcome. Because it's, it's scary to stand up in front of, uh, front of people and talk. And, um, and if you weren't here for part one, um, I don't have time to kind of go over all the partner organisations that we're partnering with, um, but we're partnering with one local, one uh, in Queensland, and one, for the first time ever, one kind of overseas organisation. And Nathan's actually connected with that organisation. It's called, it's called Open Doors. Um, in part one, we talked a little bit about how they provide safe houses for people and aid and all that sort of stuff. But Nathan, you're here in the flesh. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what Open Doors does globally? Yeah. So Open Doors, in a, in a snapshot, we say we're helping people follow Jesus all over the world, no matter the cost. But the phrase, no matter the cost, is the clincher with what we do. So you guys, as a church community, creating a space that unchurched people love to go to, um, you occupy geographical space. You all go back to your houses and you've got things happening throughout the week, but there's a real nexus sort of, there's a, there's, here's a place where you guys gather. I want you to imagine for a, a, a moment that when you go home that evening, there is um, a, a guy on a motorbike, someone on a motorbike going through your street. In fact, there's a number of motorbikes going through this community's streets. And there's some sort of amplification and the person on the motorbike is saying, if you're a Christian and you're here in the morning, whatever happens to you is on your own head. I wonder what would go through your mind. What question would you be asking yourself? And, and I want you not just to think it's this church here, but it's the whole, maybe it's the whole Morden Bay region or the whole city of Brisbane. Every Christian is thinking we need to pack up and we need to leave tonight. So open doors, helping people follow Jesus worldwide, no matter the cost. So the work that we do is in over 70 uh, different countries where it's most dangerous to be a Christian, where a scenario like that, when I was meeting with some believers in Iraq, and that was the scenario that they, they were handed... And so our organisation, we look for the, the top, uh, every year we release top 50 most dangerous places to be a Christian for the last 25 years, most um, credible uh, list of its kind. UN has taken submissions, whole range of different things. 
But when we look at those most dangerous countries, we then try and find where's the area within the country where Christians are thinking, maybe I need to leave tonight. Maybe it's not because a motorbike went, went by my street. Maybe it's because I've converted to Christianity and that's not allowed in my country. So mm. the question Open Doors asks is, what would it take you to stay and not leave so the light of Jesus doesn't leave your street, doesn't leave your community and not your city? Uh, so that's the, in, a, in sort of a broad scenario base, that's the kind of work that we do, the question we ask. Well, I kind of want to dive down on that because you, you mentioned this idea like the, the 70, you know, 50 to 70. You said you're in 70 plus, yeah. but every year you release a list of the top 50 most dangerous countries. Yeah. Um, I, don't know, I don't know about others in the room, but it's just hard to wrap my head around like how being a Christian could be dangerous like because because in australia like you know if you're a jesus follower like you might get looked at and that might be weird people might th think your beliefs are outdated yeah, um that you're misogynistic yeah. your coffee you know when you're not looking yeah exactly all that yeah. all that sort Nightmare of stuff scenario. yeah that's terrible like you it don't want to you want to mess with your yeah. single origin yeah. um but but could you give us a snapshot because that's just so hard yeah. for me and i'm guessing for a lot of other people to wrap their heads around like what it is like to be a person living in one of those countries. So what's a snapshot of, say, the average person that you help or that um, Open Doors kind of partners with in those dangerous countries? Yeah, good question. A as you can imagine, 70 different countries, if you're doing your job right, that's really got to look different in 70 different, you know, broad countries, right? Um, so uh, our question is always the same, but it t manifests differently to try and keep someone there. But um, what does the average person look like? Well, it looks like someone who um, jumps on a bus, goes to university, takes them an hour to get there. I don't know how long it takes some of you to get to uni, public transport, um, an hour to get there. And one particular day, because the convoy of those buses are Christian, you get ambushed. There are mortifiers because Christians are not welcome in this part of the country. So it, the average person, it's a uni student like you. It's someone who has found Jesus, he's freed their heart, or maybe it's, it's, um, it's someone, uh, I don't know what the level of friendship you're experiencing in your life right now, but imagine in an African country, in a country that I can't name, you are the first person or the only person in your village, in your sort of regional town, that's a Christian. And for you to convert means what we often, um, it means cutting off from family, from the tribal area, you're alone. If you come back, we'll be friends, you know, you can be friends and enjoy the family and everything. And, and probably just a moment to pause. Um, as Christians, and the Bible teaches, we don't war against flesh and blood. Different people that we can see are not the enemy. But we know the Bible teaches that there's an enemy that's unseen, that, that is a part of creating um, really violent situations. So in that context, we're offering friendship to a man like that. We're offering a Bible because mm. uh, secretly, <laughs> we don't just rock up and, hey, we've got Bible delivery. Um, and then in other places, it can be a young mother who's married. And in that particular country, it's illegal to create any Christian literature or any Christian CDs. And so in their home, they have a secret room in their home because someone has to produce Christian discipleship material. 
and worship music so believers mm. can be encouraged because they all meet in secret churches. And when we asked her, when the team uh, was with her earlier in the year, we just said, why do you do this? Like, you know, the police could storm this. You've got kids, you'll go to jail. That, there'll be years on that sentence. And she just said, well, if I don't do it, someone else has to. So they're just average people, mm. but they've really encountered Jesus. And I want to pick up on what you kind of talked about, like that you talked about that idea of principalities and we kind of like think of the, of the government here and, and yep. people have kind of different views of the government here, but, but we're, not, we're not a communist government. We don't have people kind of, you know, motorbiking down our streets, kind of telling us what we have to yep. believe. We've got a lot of freedom here. And um, so in that, that kind of, in those countries that you're in, what are, let's drill down on maybe like one or two stories where it's very different to following Jesus in that kind of, in a, say, a communist yeah. Um, regime. Yeah, yeah so um, North Korea in the media all the time. North Korea for the last 18 years has been the number one, the most dangerous place to be a Christian. And forget really, in some sense, being a Christian. If there is suspicion that you're a Christian, mm. that's enough to get not only you, but your whole family locked away. And that's a good outcome. What, what classifies as suspicion? Like someone, someone just kind of said, oh, they look like it? Yeah, good question. <laughs> no, a, a Bible might be found in your home. Um, someone, you might be using the name of God. In North Korea, the name of God is, um, it's like our swear words. So on their movies, you know, we all have swear words. Our swear words don't really mean anything apart from how you use it and the emotion behind it. Well, in North Korea, the name for God is Hanoinim. And it is, North Koreans only know that word because it's in their movies and it's used as a swear word. And mm. so um, if someone is using that word other than a swear word, there are indications okay. of, oh, hang on, what's going on here? Yep. Um, uh, one of the, uh, one story, uh, so in North Korea, this is common practice, is if you're in a primary school, and, um, you know, we talk about having Bibles in schools and whether that's okay. Um, but in North Korea, it's routine for a teacher to hold up a Bible and say, who knows what this is? And if you've ever asked a primary school student a question, you know, it doesn't even matter if they don't know the answer. They just want to answer. They want to be picked. And so the, the sensitivity around that is many parents in North Korea don't always tell their kids, we follow Jesus. Because it's just too risky to let them know. Yeah, okay. And, and so that's, that's a communist um, regime. What about like in a, in a country um, where there's not really a whole lot of government, you're essentially like just got warlords? Yeah, um, yeah so Colombia. Colombia, if you've seen any Netflix show, uh, one of the different narcos or anything like that, that's that context. Very religious country in terms of, I think it's 98% are um, religious or Catholic and mix of Catholic Protestant. Um, but in that country, you're, in the, you're either a warlord or you are corrupt if you're in government, generally speaking, for the government. And so, now, in any of the countries that we deal with or that we list, it re can be really different from city to city, region to region. Vietnam, sixth most visited place for Australian tourists, but it's on the list. And so, Colombia, if you went to the big cities, you wouldn't notice it as much. But in the regional areas where the warlords really hold sway, again, common practice is for them to walk into a village and uh, with their weapons and with their crew and just say, all your kids now work for us. Hmm. So if you're a Christian parent, if you love Jesus, if you don't want your kids getting mixed up in whatever, that's a really tough, what do you do? Christians in that country, because of the freedom 
that they have in their heart. And because the Bible teaches a human, another human doesn't own a human. You're made in God's image. So God owns you. So it's the Christians in that context that say, sorry, no, you don't own us. My kids, our kids, Christian kids won't be working for you. So in countries like that, um, what would be safe houses, we call orphanages. So Christians that are taking a stand can have the pressure of the questions that come up when you're going, well, I've got my kids in safety. Um, So Mm. there's two very different types of persecution and different reasons for persecution, but we know it's not flesh and blood, it's principalities and powers, same tactics. And that's, um, that's probably a nice segue because I, I want to kind of take it from this kind of macro scale because we can kind of, it's almost like we can get a little bit overwhelmed, like wow, yeah. there's all this sort of, there's all yeah. this stuff happening, um, but we're, beyond, we're actually partnering on a very specific yeah. project with Big Rich yeah. um, and particularly helping children. Um, so what can, like, Give us an insight into to what that is, why it's important, and, um, and, and how we're going to partner yeah. with Open Doors on this one. Yeah, so, you know, when persecution isn't so much really about targeting an individual, psychologically, it's always about targeting the community. Kids are part of a community. I already mentioned that North Korea type scenario. Um, scenarios where I was um, talking to you after the service this morning. Um, in Nigeria, where if you remember Boko Haram um, s- uh, took a whole lot of um, uh, girls, um, well, a Christian was a part of that, and, and a number of uh, the rest of them were Muslims. Horrible situation. Kidnapped all these girls, these students. And, um, and in that scenario, you've got a ch- they were, I think they were kidnapped at around age 14, and, and it's been some time now. Um, so, how do you prepare children in contexts like that? You know, Jesus said there will be trouble in life. And so Open Doors has a lot of um, what we call persecution uh, preparedness training. So what you guys are partnering with is something so precious. I mean, Jesus said the words, um, um, don't hold the children back from coming to me. All I've got is a King James in my head and I'm just, no, I won't say that right. But he said, let the children come to me. It's so precious. So you guys are partnering with us um, for $7.00. Um, each child to um, give them access to Bible um, stories and, and training where they're taught about it sounds crazy but for kids persecution preparedness training what did Jesus the one you love in your simple way what did he tell us about when there are enemies he said mm. to love our enemies he said not to be surprised when people mock you at your school um, when they insult you so there's that part of it as well as education broadly um, a part of that in terms of writing and, and reading and those types of things. So that's what you guys um, are partnering with us. And to give you another you know, context, Sri, um, Sri Lanka this year, the bombing that happened. Half an hour before that bomb went off and um, Open Doors have been partnering for a couple of decades there in that particular church, where the Protestant church where the bomb went off, um, there were um, heaps of kids and that day, they were having just some training. They were having some teaching from the Word. And at the end, they were asked, who wants to respond to follow Jesus? And they said, and even obedient unto death, if that means our lives, because that's a very real thing in their context. Mm-hmm. And a whole lot of kids just responded. They wanted to know that when they were leaving and they were going over to lunch, that's when the bomber was coming through. And he got them right at that moment. So it's very precious what and you guys are connecting with. And I think that's, 
It's such a difficult situation because I could imagine that, that there are people in this room who are maybe it's their first time and they um, could kind of be like, you know what, I'm, I'm not really for this whole Jesus thing. Mm. But I think something that we could, well, I hope that we could all agree on as human beings is that um, every single child and every single individual should have the right to their views and values because yeah. everyone's views and values make sense to them, even if we don't necessarily agree with them. And the fact that the children are under um, the threat of death um, for holding a particular view or a particular value, I think is something that, that we need to address. And, and that, there was this part that you kind of touched on that I want to pick up that um, we're actually part of that $7 that for every child helps with medical and helps with education. Um, and there's a reason for that and it's tied up with this whole thing of civil death. Mm-hmm. Do you want to just explain, because I, I could understand why if you're in a country with like bombing and that's difficult, yeah. you need to kind of work with children and sort of say, hey, these are some of the things you can expect, but why... Why medical? Why education? Why is that part of the the deal? Yeah, well, you know, Vietnam is is a really great example um, of what uh, is termed a civil death. So many believers, over 245 million Christians around the world, experience high levels of persecution. And many of them say, it's actually, dying is not the real, um, the real, problem or the real worry. It's what's called a civil death. And it's when you're in a country, um, like when I was with some of the believers in Iraq, um, uh, one of the ladies that I met, she said to me, Nathan, you know, we're the first peoples of Iraq. We're the, like our indigenous people here, we're the first peoples of Iraq. And um, we're sort of like second class citizens. Or, and then she said, no, no, actually, we're third class citizens. And so when other organisations that are non-religious bring aid into our country, we're often on what we describe as the back of the line. And by the back of the line, I mean we're not on the line. <laughs> and so um, coming back to Vietnam is a great example of, in that country, if you convert to Christianity, and which is an officially still a communist country, that means your access to healthcare, your access to, for your um, kids um, or yourself for education is completely dropped. Sorry, you've, you've effectively, you're against the government. And so, um, and that's what we describe as a civil death. And many Christians go, that's hard to live under that. I'd, I would rather death than have to live under the civil death. And so, <clears throat> for us, as a community, our challenge, we, we're kind of, if you're brand new here, the way we kind of describe it is a four Monday, which is really the big application of everything we've, we've been talking about. Really, our four Monday for this week is, uh, is simply to move locally. And in doing so, to have an impact globally. Um, you, can, you can actually see that the details are up on the screen um, for, for how you can actually be a part of the Be Rich and how you can contribute to what we're doing here um, with Be Rich. And I just wanted to make it really, really practical for us because what Nathan has said, like $7 partners with one of these children, like helps provide healthcare, helps provide education, helps give them the tools that will um, enable them to yeah, deal with um, persecution and all those challenges. If we, if we raise the $3,500 and we split that into thirds and we give a third to every single organisation, Beyond will have personally sponsored 166 children. Which means that a church that is, you know, across both our services, we, we sit around 110 average per week, a bit over 100 average per week, a church of 100, impacted 100 has the potential to impact 166 children in 70 countries. And that's just with one third of that three and a half thousand. So I want to challenge you, if you haven't, 
or if you're thinking about it, if you're like, I'm going to do it, I'm going to get around to it, don't wait because this is, this is our opportunity to move locally and actually have an impact globally. As we, as we kind of land the plane, I've got, I've got two questions I want to finish on um, because this word dangerous kind of keeps coming up and the more and more we talk, because we obviously kind of caught up and we did the morning, um, the AM service as well, and this word dangerous keeps coming up and it just, it still confuses me. It still confuses me as to why Christianity is dangerous, right? Because just in, this, in, in our context in Australia, it's, it's anything but dangerous. Like it's weird, it's kooky, it doesn't make sense, but it's not dangerous. So why is it in countries that are under communist rule, that are under, under the rule of warlords, drug lords, all that sort of stuff, why do they look at what we would kind of see as kind of a very passive, kind of peaceful worldview, and they say, that's dangerous, we need to stop it? Yeah, yeah it's, um, it's dangerous if you take this seriously. And I'm pointing to my phone because there's a Bible app on there. <laughs> if you take the Bible app or the Bible seriously. Because the thing about if you start reading the Bible and you dare to take it as a serious thing, it starts to create freedom in your heart. And you start to hear how Jesus says, if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. And that's a really dangerous thing because you might actually start to believe that you're free and that no one else can tell you that you're not free. And then if you believe that you're made in the image of God, well, then you go, well, I'm owned by God. And so the ideas that are in the Bible and what Jesus teaches and taught is really dangerous in a country, and even here. And here's what I mean by that. Because it's not flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. So persecution, really what's at the heart of it, is in a place like North Korea. The idea that you are owned by God and you can experience peace, that can liberate you from the circumstances that are around you, and as one brother um, whose story, who um, escaped to China, and I was reading his story, and uh, who said, I encountered a man who I described as the most happiest man in North Korea. And he was one of those guys who dared to use the word God, anoint him. And started to eventually, as their relationship grew, to take a chance and share Jesus. Because if everyone in that country starts to believe the words of Jesus and that they're free and that no one owns them, that's a real problem mm. <laughs> for the status quo. Um, in in Colombia, I mentioned, there was a story of um, one of the local warlords came into the church where the pastor was and they knew each other on site. He came in and he got his we um, the warlord got his gun out and put it to his head and he said, Are you a Christian? And he said, yes, I am. So the warlord uncocked the weapon, put it back into, where he, uh, into the holster, and then proceeded to walk out of the room. And then he just stopped at the door and he turned around and he said, do you have a Bible? You see, because in his context, to be mixing and taking Christianity serious is dangerous for even him. And so he said, I needed to know that you were serious about Jesus and would even die for it before I admitted I wanted one of your Bibles. If you take it seriously, it's dangerous because the enemy thinks, if I can just get you to stop from telling a neighbour or someone else who's bound up, I've done my job. Hmm. 
But if you dare speak about your freedom, it could change everything for your neighbour, maybe even a country. And for those of us in the room who would kind of say, you know, we are, we are followers of Jesus, like we can hear stories like that because that's a, that's a powerful, powerful story. Mm-hmm. Like, and I could just imagine what would happen if a warlord walked in <laughs> right now and kind of held it. Yeah. Like, I don't know how I would respond. I genuinely don't. I think you have to be in that situation to know how you would respond. But I think there's a, there's a challenge because we, we hear stories like that and we look at stories like that. And for those of us who are Jesus followers, we kind of go, well, well I don't have that level of faith. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I'm, I don't know what those guys and those, those men and those women are on, but like, I don't have it. How would, how would you respond and, and how, how do they respond? Because I'm sure you've probably been in a situation where you're like, man, I, I cannot believe, like I don't have that yeah. level of faith. Yeah. For those of us who kind of say, would say, yeah, we're on board, how, how do we wrestle with that? Yeah, it's a, it's a real, it's a great one, great question. Um, I was chatting with a guy after I came back from Iraq and, um, and he was just talking about some of the things that they were doing and he was like pedestalling, oh, these people are amazing. And I just wanted to rattle his cage a little bit with that pedestal, it's unreal, it's not real. Like people, humans are humans. And I said to him, yeah, you know what? The biggest takeaway that I came back with when I was in Iraq was, it's just really boring. And he was sort of like, I was like, yeah, that that really stuck with me. Because I wanted him to hear, like normal life happens over Mm. there. Like the normal arguments that you have, or have had today, or will have this week, those happen, because humans are humans. But in their country, um, with one of the brothers that we met who fled a city scenario that I talked about at the start, he owned three businesses, fled, and, and part of the, the, the keeping them there in the city that they went to was setting up through accountability, small micro loan and a restaurant. And we asked him the question, we were like, one of the teams said, do you blame God? And as it got translated through and then came back, we saw his face was confused by the question. And then it came back and he said, blame God. I like God. God is good. He is the one good thing in our lives. You know, if you live in Iraq, you've never known a time without war. Um, But I think the quintessential um, conversation that I had with a believer who um, had faced the same scenario of of a gun to um, the the reality of a a gun to his head, which is a whole other story. But we were on on this veranda overlooking um, this plane out to Mosul, which was the stronghold, the major stronghold of ISIS in Iraq. Um, or was, and, uh, and we're just chatting, and I just said, mate, you know, when I think about the faith that you've displayed, the Iraqis mm. are really like Australian in their humour, very self-deprecating, really fun, but I just said, I said mate, um, like, when I think about the f- my faith in my country and what you experience, I'm just, yeah, they don't yeah. compare, and he just said to me, he was so humble, he's such a lovely guy, he just said, oh, Nathan, you can't compare the faith. See, Nathan, it's the same faith, but it manifests differently in the context mm. in within which it is. And I came away struck by how they love their country and the unchurched people in their country, they really want to reach. Mm. And so it struck me, I thought, you know what? I, I came away going, I'm not called to their country. I'm not called to be on their street but they're not called to be on my street next to my neighbour. And my Lord knows how I, my faith manifests in my life and how I talk about that. He knows the people that I interact with and it's going to manifest according to how I operate. And God's just waiting for us to just go, you know what, yeah, I'm going to be rich in my relationships. 
and speak a little bit about life. And I love that, and I think that's a, a great place for us to kind of land the plane on this series, because really, I don't think I can say it any better than that, um, but for us, the reason that we are practicing being rich, and the reason we do this is because we want people in our community to know that God is for them, whether they're for God or not. And as a local church, we are going to continue to be for them, whether they are for us or not, whether they agree with us or not, whether they believe what we believe or not. And if you're new here tonight, we want to let you know that we take that seriously. You can belong here before or if you ever believe anything we believe, because we are for you and we believe that God is for you as well. So I'm going to take this um, opportunity, I'm going to invite the band back up, and I'd love to, um, I'd love to pray for us as we close uh, Be Rich. Jesus, um, it can be really um, difficult to kind of, at times, to sort of ask that question, you know, is what I'm doing really making a difference? And we just want to thank you for the opportunity to kind of hear um, Nathan and what Open Doors is doing across the world. Father, I pray that it would be an opportunity for us to be encouraged, not to kind of compare ourselves and say, oh man, I wish I was, I was like those people, but to actually say, you know what, we have an opportunity And for those of us in this room who would say we're Jesus followers, you've placed us in a location for a purpose and that reason is to show other people that you are for them. And so Lord, we just pray that with the hampers uh, and the food that we collect and the money that we distribute, that it wouldn't be for people to say, oh, how good's beyond, but but people would lean in and they would ask that question, well, why do you do it? And we would just be able to respond because we believe in a God who is for everyone, whether they are for him or not. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.